Well, we are glad that you are here. I wanted to start off the time with the homily asking a question and knowing that this is uh, that fifth Sunday where we invite uh, families with children to stay here. I'm not going to give a ton of time for the question. And so I'm also going to prioritize that if you're running out of time, I would encourage the parents, if you are parents and children here, to share first. And so I wanted to kick it off with share a time you knew your behavior was going to get you in trouble with your parent or caregiver. How did you feel? So again, for those who are parents and have children here, I'm encouraging you to go first before you ask your child to do that. Be back in just a minute. All right, let's, uh, hopefully you had some time to tell some pretty epic stories, and I feel a little bad cutting into said epic stories, and don't have time to hear all of the epic stories, but if you have, like, a condensed bullet point, like, you know, the time I wrecked their car, etc., like, you know, just very short little bullet points, would love to hear uh, some of these things where you felt in trouble, and or if you want to share the feeling associated with how you felt when you realized you did that. Anybody that would care to share? Oh, you stinkers. Okay, see over there. The time I got drunk and my mom was my ride home. Yeah. Thank you for leading off. That's great. Um, Any others? Yeah. Whoa. Most definitely. Well, you're going to be a little shy. That's okay. What I'm about to share is not all that, like, uh, you know, it's not I'm, not, I'm not being incredibly vulnerable. But for whatever reason, this particular story is the story that, like, my family comes back to is like, you remember that time you were in trouble? Uh, which was, I was in middle school band at the middle school formerly known as Fulmore, now Lively, and I was in the trumpet section and I was known to be a bit chatty among the other trumpets, particularly like when the band director was giving instructions to other instrument sections that were not my own. Like, what, what purpose do I really have to listen to any of that? Um, and so I had already been corrected several times before uh, by the band director to you know, not be talking during this time, not be cutting up with my friends, uh, and in fact had already... Uh, even had, I believe, some kind of note sent home to my parents to set effect. And so I was put on warning, you know, by my parents, like, we don't want this to happen anymore. We're embarrassed that it's even gotten to this level. This needs to stop. And yet there was my band director, Jacqueline Henninger, giving instructions to some other, I think it was the flutes, which has nothing to do with me as a trumpet or any of my colleagues that were around me. And so I'm cutting up with them again. And then Uh, Miss Henninger gives me this look that just has like fire in her eyes and I'm like oh crud this is this is not good and certainly right after that she's like I'm going to be calling your parents tonight like oh this is really 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 not good because I've already been put on warning that this is not to happen again and my mother uh, was a teacher in Austin Independent School District not at this middle school but at the high school that middle school fed into and was known as quite the tough teacher herself. And though my mother, full of love and compassion, and I mean that genuinely, 
Also, it was full of like, I'm cutting you zero slack when it comes to how you're behaving in school because you are my son and everyone knows that and you're going to be on your best behavior. Uh, so to this day, my parents will still remind me about how much trouble I was in uh, when they got that call from my band director and just even her name, it's taken a while, the band director's name to sort of reframe that in a sense of love and grace, even though she had nothing to do with it. She was just trying to keep order in the band. Uh, but for me, it was just like this, you were part of me getting in immense trouble with my parents. Uh, and I can remember just like the absolute dread that I had of knowing like, I don't even know, I was already in a lot of trouble just for the note home. And now there's going to be a phone call to my parents like, this seems really, really, really bad. All of us in some form or fashion have had people who have helped to raise us, to guide us, to instruct us, to lead us, whether that's family, whether that's some other type of caregiver. We've all had people like that in our lives, and some of that has been a blessing and really enriching, and I'm sure there are other relationships that are fraught and complex and full of challenges and things that really cause us to question uh, the goodness of our families of origin. Meredith Miller, who some of our Vox crew got to go see in person uh, earlier this month, shares these two things that are true. You have the single biggest influence on your child's faith, and you cannot control your child's faith. We can nurture, make room for questions, foster safe space for people to explore the mystery of their own created being. We can model humility and service-oriented leadership, generosity, empathy, and listening to the marginalized. We can show all of these incredible values uh, to those little ones who are in our care, who are in our sphere of influence, whether they are our children or a part of our faith community, as we just recently committed together as a community to be that nurturing presence uh, for those who have stood up today and for those who have stood up in the past and will stand up in the future. There are all of these ways that we can try to be this incredible beloved presence of God. And yet we're still also aware that we cannot control, we cannot predict the outcome of how our children and how those around us are going to grow and what they will ultimately decide to become and how they will live into the fullness of their presence. And I think we live in the tension of that because if we're honest, a lot of times we're, whether consciously or not, for those around us, we are trying to think of the ways we wish we had been nurtured better, the ways we wish that our parents or other caregivers had done things differently, and, and trying to sort of steer our children, give them the messages that we wish we had received, or keep them from receiving the messages that we did not feel were a blessing to us. And so it gets really complicated. It gets incredibly messy. In our passage today, Hosea chapter 11, God is seen as a parent. Many people would say God is really seen in this passage as a mother. That's probably mostly because, especially in the ancient Near Eastern context of this passage, uh, there's a lot of what we would consider to be more maternal or feminine caregiving energy. That's not to say 
that fathers can't also embody that and live fully into it, but that particularly in the culture that would have read these passages, these would have seemed very much like roles and uh, characteristics that a mother would have toward their child. And so our verse starts off, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. We are created in God's love. Before we have ever done anything good or bad, before we do things that might make others happy or sad, that might make them mad or proud or embarrassed or glad, God formed us in God's love. That's true of you and me as unique bearers in the image of God. But here in the book of Hosea, God is envisioned as this parent speaking to children. God is speaking to a whole community. It's when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, the people of God, Israel, are called. They have traveled through the birth canal of the Reed Sea and have gone from being an enslaved group of people to being God's people on the other side. There is this shift then from individual to a more collective sense, shifting from that spirituality that's just all about me and my to this larger sense of purpose and God's steadfast love for the community. Your journey matters, your experiences, life lessons, scars and successes. They are part of the uniqueness that is you, and yet your life is not about you, but you are to be about it and to be about participating in the formation of God's beloved community that doesn't mimic the hostility we see on social media, attacking its own or forming group identity around scapegoating or belittling others because they are different from us or easy targets. God is calling us into a collective that is an alternative to what is on offer. In Disney's Moana, the titular star, Moana, is torn at the beginning from a desire to go beyond the island that she lives on, where her family has stayed and where generations before her have stayed, to go see what is out there beyond the island, on the sea. And yet her family, particularly her parents are encouraging her, no, you have a responsibility. You are going to be the leader for this island. You don't need to go out there. You need to stay here. And her sense of her individual desires and her communal responsibilities seem to be at tension. But we meet early on Grandma Tala, and she is this figure who seems to be both literally and figuratively on the edge of her community. She has this frontier uh, space where she is on the periphery and able to access ancient wisdom that seems to know that there is a way that Moana is going to be able to navigate both being true to the uniqueness of who she has been created to be and also bring that to bear in service towards others and towards the community for which she is responsible Verse 2 in Hosea goes on to say, The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals. That is a proper name for a different God, but also just can mean to the other masters. And offering incense to the idols. They're so 
many things that short circuit wisdom and wonder in our lives. We resist our call to be a people of liberation, instead turning to the well-worn patterns and habits of others around us, settling to be less than who we truly are. Perhaps we subtly come to think that beloved community is ideal, but in the real world we might have to settle or at least heavily prioritize our own nuclear family or our own startup or our own community or our own class or socioeconomic status, that it's not really practical for us to imagine that God could be forming something bigger and other that is subversive to the empire that we find ourselves in. Verse 3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. God remembers teaching Ephraim, which is another name for the northern kingdom of Israel after they had split, during their toddler days, how to walk, enveloping the people in the divine embrace uh, when they might fall. But like young babes who don't remember diapers change, Ephraim seems to not remember all the ways God has cared for them. So verse 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. And here we see something central about the posture of God. If God has already shown us in this passage that God is about love, right? God called them in love. God called them out of Egypt in liberation. God is about both love and liberation. Here we see that God's posture is one of bending down and of lifting up. What does God look like in the world? From Hosea's perspective, God is one who bends down, who gets on our level and who lifts us up. Paul Simpson Duke says, they're looking less at the child than at the one who feeds, coaches, and called the child. Of God, Paul Simpson Duke is talking, I loved, I called, I taught, I took them in my arms, I healed, I led with cords of kindness, I bent down, I fed. These lines can be heard as something much more than a litany of reproach by an aggrieved parent. They can be heard as a parent's recollection of herself, a return to the memory of her heart's deepest commitments to the child. These are the parent's truest verbs. I just love that language that Paul Simpson Duke uses there of how God remembers God's self and how caregivers might remember one another. And so love does get eye level. It does not stay removed or distant. It stoops down. It comes by. As Eugene Peterson once says, it moves into the neighborhood with us. It takes up residence with us. It is our companioning family member. And liberation empowers flourishing. God's liberation frees comprehensively and completely. Enslaved Israel was not released piecemeal or by certain groups at a time. They all get to go. They are caught up as Martin Luther King Jr. talked about in this garment of destiny, this network of mutuality. What happens to one affects all. None of us are free until all of us are free. And so we see in Hosea chapter 8, God lamenting within God's self, how can I give you up, Ephraim? 
How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These were both towns that had been wiped out. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Verse 9, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. This is the only time that God's holiness is invoked in Hosea, and it is directly connected to God saying, I am not going, you want to know how I'm set apart? You want to know how I am distinct in the world? It's that I am not going to go forward in violence. I'm not going to go forward in punishment and in pain. Instead, I am choosing to put that aside. That is how you know I am the Holy One that is among you. I want to close with two reflections of how we might bend down and lift up. Bending down in love this week. Where might you allow God's love to get eye level with your own life? Where might there be places and spaces in your heart, in your world that you need to allow to imagine, to be able to bring hope again, to say, God, could you show up? Could you visit? Could you be near to this space in me? I need to know that you were here. Where is that in your own life? How might you practically embody God's bending down love for someone else? I'm sure in all of our circles, there are people that we know who are hurting, who are struggling, who need to know that God has not forgotten them. And perhaps even as you're thinking through this or later in liturgies or throughout the week, a name or a person or a situation or a cause um, might come to mind. And you think, here's a practical thing I can do to help out with that. And then lifting up in liberation this week, who is someone you might intentionally listen to and learn from this week? Is there someone who you're like, you know, they, they've, they've got a story to tell. I have no idea what it's like to be in their shoes. I have no idea what it's like to struggle or to be marginalized in the way they have. And so I'm going to go get a book or listen to the TED Talk or if I have a close enough relationship with them, perhaps even ask, hey, when you're ready, if you're ever ready, I would just love to hear a little bit more about your journey. And where might you start close in in your own life by standing in solidarity for a group being misrepresented or dehumanized? Perhaps that could be in your larger family when in the group text people start sending things that you know that they shouldn't be sending and instead of just saying, I'm not going to stand up in this moment, you acknowledge that I, I, if I'm not doing this, that means other people that are actually being marginalized right now are going to be the ones that have to do the labor. And I'm going to stand up uh, in the power of liberation this week in that place. That could also be in your circle of friends and your workplace and your school or community. What are just some simple ways you might participate in lifting up and liberation this week? Let us pray. Love that never ceases. Energy who animates the cosmos, wellspring of abundance. You do not withhold, you do not hoard, you break bread and there is enough. Singular love, unending hope, mysterious peace, we gather together longing for you.